So let's open our Bibles today. Thank you, Tori. God bless you today. Let's take a few minutes in the Scripture. And uh, I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 7. So today, for a few moments, we want to go back to Noah. We want to go back to Noah. I want to look at the true nature of saving faith. Now, uh, I have kind of a subtitle of this. And I don't think they put this up and they don't have to. But here's the question. I want you to look at me a second. Here's the question. Because what I want to share with you today, I consider a vital truth. You hear that? A vital truth. Now when I say a vital truth, you say, well, pastor, isn't all the word of God vital? All the word of God is important because it's the word of God. But not all truth is on the same importance level. But when we begin to talk about that which touches and determines our eternal destiny. How I many know that's a top shelf issue? And there's nothing more glorious than to talk about salvation and, and all of its wonderful spiritual nuances. So the message is the true nature of saving faith. Let me tell you, there's no greater subject in all the world than to talk about how God has reached down and how he has sent his saving mercy you know, salvation is of the Lord because without God, salvation is a revelation. No human being, in other words, let me say it this way. If man left to his own without the supernatural intervention of God from heaven, the human race would have already been perished, would have already perished. Because the wages of sin is death and man would have eventually just died out. But God in his mercy... In, in, in his wisdom, so vast, it, 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 it shakes us to our core when you think before a human being was ever created, God had already in eternity past determined to save. Now just meditate on that, that a bit. Because as soon as I said that, four or five questions just arise. Why, 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 why did you do this? Why? So it's so vast but we know that God in his mercy sent the revelation of his salvation. There's one book in all the world. There's one book in all the world that contains the knowledge of how to be reconciled to God. One book. And it's this book right here. And I mean, of the enemy hates this book. He hates this saving book. I was on the end of when they used to read scriptures in school still, public school. I was on the end of that. Some of you remember when they used to read Scripture in school. They may quote the, quote the Lord's Prayer now because of the liberalism and the God, I call it godlessness. They're trying to keep this book, this saving book from our boys and girls. What do the, what do the boys and girls in our land need? They need the Word of God. They need God's Word. One of the reasons we're putting a wing on this facility, one whole wing is going to be for children, and I need your help. I need your help. I need your help to reach children. I need your help to reach the kids in your neighborhood, to bring them so that we can share this saving message. But today I want to share the true nature of saving faith. The subtitle is this. I want you to listen to this question. And we'll allow the Word of God to unpack this to us. And that's this. Are you saved or are you being saved? Now think about that question. What does the Bible say? Are we saved or are we being saved? Now last week, and I'll read this verse 7 in a moment, in Hebrews eleven seven. But last week we looked at Noah. And we looked at the phrase where it says, He built an ark to the saving of his household. Uh, you can say a lot about Noah. He never had a mega church. But he saved his family. That's, that says a lot. I believe that Lamech, his father, was a godly man. I believe somehow he communicated to Noah, his son, of the messianic promise of Genesis 3.15, that God would send a Savior. And that we know that God divinely revealed himself to Noah, a word from God. And so, but today we're looking at another part of this, and that's this. What kind of faith saves? And is all kinds of faith 
the same kind of faith? Is it all on the same level? And the answer is no. The reason is because in another part of Scripture it says the demons believe. The demons believe? Yes, the demons believe and tremble. So the demons have a, have a kind of faith, but it's not a saving faith. It's not genuine faith. It's not a faith that reconciles us with God, forgives our sin, justifies us, and gives us a walk with God and an eternity in his presence. But it does say that demons have a type of faith. But what kind of faith saves? Here's, here's what I want to propose to you today. The faith that saves is a persevering faith. Any faith that doesn't persevere until the end is not true, genuine Bible faith. Now, this is a vital truth because failing to understand the nature of true saving faith or the nature of saving faith, if you don't understand that, this is an error of the enemy where we're vulnerable. Satan can deceive us. Satan can even try to destroy our walk with the Lord. So what we have is in Hebrews 11, we have this great catalog, this great hall, this great list of human beings from the very beginning of humanity, these people that had real faith, that had a faith that saves, that had a faith that God says, I want to commend these people to you. These are the people that need to be your heroes. And Noah is just that one, is just one of those in that group. He had a faith that saved. Let's read it again. Look on your screen, if you would, please. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, he moved with godly fear, preparing an ark to the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of, right, uh, the, became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So, so he, here's what we can say about Noah's faith from this verse. Noah possessed an active faith, an active believing faith, a faith that persevered until the end. Now, one of the things that I mentioned from time to time is I'm concerned with gospel presentations that give an incomplete vision or view of what it is to be a part of the kingdom of God. That concerns me very much. And sometimes it's kind of, maybe not quite like this, but it gives this inference. Come to Jesus and he's going to make your earthly life better. Well, uh, does coming to Jesus make our earthly life better? Well, I would say absolutely, in every single way. How I many you know the best life is to live for Jesus? I, let me say it this way. Maybe this is a crude way to say it. But if, 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 if following Jesus wasn't the way of salvation, following the teaching of Scripture would elevate life in every single way. But Jesus is the Savior, and when we come to Jesus, our life is elevated in every way. Marriage is better. Health is better. Do you realize they've done statistics? People who attend church regularly live longer. Proven statistically. Proven, proven by hard data. People who attend church live healthier and live longer. Your peace and joy is better, absolutely. But to simply say that coming to Jesus, coming to faith in Jesus gives us a better earthly life, that's an incomplete view of the kingdom of God. And we don't want anything, we don't want to have truth in this church. We don't want a distorted view of the gospel. How many know we want to, we want to embrace all the gospel? I want you to be so well taught about these things that the enemy can't deceive you and your family. So what, what is it? Following Jesus sometimes, well, it does make us, it makes uh, many facets of our life better. But, but the whole truth is this, sometimes following Jesus in some ways makes life more difficult. Think of Paul. Remember what he listed? Think of Elijah. Think of the early believers. Remember what the Bible calls about the dispersion? They, they were, the, the Jewish people were dispersed all over the Roman Empire. Why? Because they embraced Jesus and they embraced Christianity. The truth of the matter is this. The goal of the gospel is not simply to improve our earthly life, but it is to give us a new life. We're abandoning the life of sin. 
We're now a part of the kingdom of God. We're new. We're not the people we used to be. Now, we're not all we're going to be, but we're not all we used to be, but we're new. We've been crucified with Christ. That's a fact. That's not up for debate. If, when someone is truly born again, they are crucified with Christ. And it says, I no longer live. That's old life in Adam. But he said, Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So as we look at Noah and we consider the true nature of saving faith, genuine faith is a faith that perseveres to the end. It reaches the, fi- it reaches the finish line. It reaches what some have called final salvation. Colossians says this, if indeed, if indeed. You know, there's, a, there's ifs in the Bible. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and not moved away of the hope of the gospel which you have heard. So the question is, are we saved or are we being saved? Do you realize there's some clear verses in the Bible that says you are saved right now? There are other verses in the Bible that says that you're going to be saved one day in the future. So what is it? Are we saved or are we being saved? Listen to the, listen to the scripture. Are you ready to hear these verses? Listen to these verses. Because I want to ask you, when was Noah saved? Was he saved the moment he started hammering the ark together? Was he saved, you know, they said that Noah preached 120 years. Warning people, building the ark. So was he saved, you know, 60 years into that, 120 years? Or was he saved when God closed the ark and the ark went across those, those waters of judgment and then God opens the ark and he comes out the other side? When was, when was Noah saved? Listen to what the Bible says about these different nuances or these different tenses when it concerns salvation. Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be, say it with me, saved. So the moment someone calls upon the Lord, the Bible says we're saved. It's like Peter, he's sinking in the water and he reaches his hand up and says, Lord, save me. And the Lord Jesus grabs him by the hand and pulls him up and he was saved from that, from drowning. He was saved. Look, look at Acts Paul said this in Acts 16.31. So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, look at Ephesians. For by grace, you have been saved. Now, those two verses before says, when someone calls them to the Lord, they're saved. Now, this says to the Ephesians, for by grace, you have have been saved through faith that not of yourself it is the gift of God not of works as anyone should boast saved have been saved oh but wait a second lest I confuse you more look at this verse 1 Corinthians this is ESV I don't know if you got that it's going to be close to the same but 1 Corinthians 15 1 and 2 now I would remind you brothers of the gospel which I preached to you which you received past In which you stand, and by which you are, uh-oh, say it with me, being saved. If, it won't say if, if you hold fast the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Saved, were saved, are being saved. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians 1.18. Here it is again. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to you who are being saved, it is the power of God. Hebrews 3.6 talks about this enduring nature of salvation. But Christ is a, as a son over his own house, whose, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of our home Hope firm unto the end. Verse 13 of that chapter. For we, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. Saved. We're saved. 
being saved. What is it, Pastor? When was Noah saved? Now, I'm going to read a lengthy passage. And within this lengthy passage, this is 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. You're going to see all of this in there. All the tenses of salvation. All the nuances of true saving faith. Now, pick it up as we read it. Let the Word of God speak to you. Blessed, this is 1 Peter 1, 3, beginning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us. Is that saved? Yeah, begotten is born. Begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved for you in... What's going on here, Pastor? Let's read on. Let's look at verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Pastor, I thought I was already saved. You're saying salvation is revealed in the, in the future, in the last time? In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you're being grieved by these various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with inexpressible inexpressible and full, uh, joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that was to come to you, searching what and what time a manner and time the Spirit of Christ was in them, was indicating when he testified, when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it has been revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Notice, therefore, gird up, gird up the loins of your mind. Be ready for action is what he means. So be sober. And rest your hope fully in the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Saved, we're saved, being saved. So in the nature of saving faith, what we see in Noah, in these scriptures that back all of this up here, I want you to, let's, let's think about Noah. Let's come back to Noah in relating to the true nature of saving faith. And what we see in Noah that his faith involved a warning. It involved a work, but it also involved a walk. Noah's faith had a warning. God warned him of divine judgment. Then it had a work. He was working. He was active. It was a living faith. Remember what James says? Faith without works is dead. It's empty. It's life. It's like a body without a spirit. It's dead. But faith walked and concluded that journey, completed the journey. You know, I walk around my neighborhood. I don't get halfway around and, and call and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to stay halfway around. No, I'm going to make the whole journey. And you know what God wants us to do? We began this journey. How many of you began the journey? We began the journey when we said yes to Jesus. And we were united to him in saving grace. But you know what? We're not, we're not, the ark is not finished in a sense. We have to complete this journey. And that's what I want to talk about today. This warning, this work, and this walk. My plea today is for us as a people of the Lord to have a persevering faith, a faith that finishes. So let's look at it in three ways. And I'm going to phrase these points, this first point, especially in a, in a different way that you may not hear all the time. But for, my first thought is this. Noah begins to be saved. You know, I can say it that way and be true to the Word of God. So here's Noah. He begins to be saved. That mean, meaning what? Meaning he gets this warning from God. He embraces the good news, which is the good news of salvation with the warning in it. He embraces the warning, and it says, the, the warning said, the world would be destroyed by a flood. So, so, so we begin salvation journey when we express, when we embrace the message and we express, express faith in Jesus alone. So what happens at that moment, I like to talk about it, what happens at the moment that we express 
genuine saving faith, a spiritual work of God takes place. And we begin to be saved. And what happens in that moment is new birth. It's like it's an act of God whereby eternal life is imparted to us. So we can say, I'm saved. I have the Holy Spirit. Life has been imparted to me. New creation. Now, Titus says it this way in 3.5. Not of works, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, they would have all these ceremonies of washings. When we were in Qumran, where, you know, it's in Qumran where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And what they found when they found the dead, they were a tremendous find. I think it was like 1948 or 9. And they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And what they discovered is, more than anything, it just reaffirmed that our Bible is the Word of God. Because when they found those scrolls, they, they took the, the manuscripts they dated way, way, way back farther than anything that they had had. They had like a whole transcript of Isaiah, a lot of John. And when they compared it, they realized it's the same thing we have today. Aren't you glad God preserved his word? Well, in Qumran, they had these pools that they've excavated. And, the, and these uh, were those believers or those that really in Judaism that... Um, they were separatists. That's the word I'm looking for. And they went through all these ceremonial washings. But you know, it's not the outward we need washed. Don't you know that we need a washing in our nation today? There are unclean spirits. Bible, Jesus called them that. Unclean spirits that are, that are listen, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. You better, listen, there are young people and, and really many, many people in our land that have opened themselves up to unclean spirits. And these spirits are driving them to ungodly and unclean activities. We need a washing today in our land. But it's, it's, not, a, it's not a washing with like dial soap or like, you know, some kind of outward soap. We need an inward washing. We need our hearts washed. And when someone comes to... Sin makes a person feel so dirty. And the thing that no religion will do, and no matter anything in this outside world will do, it can't make a person's conscience at peace. And there's a lot of people today being driven by conscience. I'm just struck by how many people are committing suicide. I mean, I'm talking about kids, 20, 25 years old, committing suicide, have their whole life in front of them. I saw where uh, this here last week or so, Elvis's grandson committed suicide 25 years old probably has more things than everyone in this room put together will ever have in 10 lifetimes and yet what happened in this young man that he took his own life because that's what sin does it makes someone feel dirty only the listen only the christian knows that experience of of real peace I've had that peace in these last two weeks, that, that peace where you just feel so clean. doesn't mean you're perfect. Of course not. But you're clean. There's, nothing, there's no known disobedience in you. And the blood has washed you. And that righteousness and peace kiss each other. And you have a heart that is completely at rest. Coronavirus going crazy and talking heads, talking all this stuff. But yet in your heart, there's this sense you feel whole. You feel, you feel washed. Do you know that's what our nation needs today? That's what our family, that's what our young people need today. This, because what happens is those in our nation that don't know God, they don't understand the internal emotional makeup. They don't know why they feel like they do. They don't know why they feel empty. They don't know why they feel driven. They don't know why they feel dirty. They don't know why they're driven. But, but the Word of God... And our great physician has diagnosed their case. And he's written the prescription. But they have to go and get it filled. And we get it filled at Calvary. We get it filled in the presence of God. He can heal us today. He can make us clean today. When we have genuine faith in Christ. Here it says the washing of regeneration. The renewing of the Holy Spirit. At the moment someone is saved. And they begin to be saved. I'm going to get to the second part. The, the, the blood washes us. 
The Spirit washes us. Can you reach back in your memory and can you remember that moment when Jesus came in and how clean you felt? You felt brand new because you were new. You're a new person and you're clean. Now notice this. Notice with Noah. Noah's faith starts with a warning. Now, should we use warnings to present the gospel? We have in our modern day, pastor, just keep it positive. Pastor, don't talk about, don't talk about anything negative. Just keep it positive. Let me tell you what my wife says, which I totally concur. She says, in our modern day, we think we're smarter than God. And I believe that many people think that. Don't give any warnings. Don't make, any, don't make anyone feel uncomfortable. We certainly wouldn't want to do that. But let's go to the Bible. So Noah's faith starts with a warning. It says he was divinely warned. This is what awakened his heart to begin to walk with God for those years and begin to serve God. He received a warning. So the question is this. Should we use warnings in presenting the gospel? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Both Old and New Testament back this up that we certainly should warn. In fact, not only should we warn people about what's ahead if they do not receive Christ, we are commanded to warn. Look at, look at Ezekiel 3, verse 17. He says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman, on the, a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the, word of the, hear the word from my mouth and give them warning, warning from me. Wouldn't it be terrible for God to be warning and yet the minister not being the mouthpiece of God to warn. In other words, God's saying this, but we decided we're going to say something else. No, God says, Ezekiel, I'm giving a word, and I want you to give and be my mouthpiece because it's a warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wickedness, wicked way to save his life, the same man... I'm sorry, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hands. You see, we're commanded to warn. And then it reads on, yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he will die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. We're commanded to warn. What about Jesus? Matthew 5, 22. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Jesus uses those words, Gehenna. In another play, in, in this same Sermon on the Mount, verse 29, he, he, he's telling us to radically deal with sin. And he says, if your right eye causes you to sin... Pluck it out and cast it from you. For it would be more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. Well, that's a, that's, that's a modern application today of what's going on in our land. If your right hand causes you to sin, cast it from you. For it would be more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. Do you see the warning of Jesus here? What about John 3.16 that we've sanitized? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What about this first sermon in the new Christian age? Acts 2 and 40. With many other words, he warned them. He warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Do you see the warnings? So here's Noah. He's beginning to be saved. Where did it come from? There was a warning that awakened his conscience. The Lord had enough love to warn him of the spiritual eternal danger that the world was in. And for 120 years, what did Noah do? He warned of the nature of salvation. He warned that they need to turn. He warned them. That judgment was coming. This is Noah beginning to be saved here. In, in New Testament sense, let's touch on this. What happens, now, now I read those verses to you, saved, were saved, being saved. What happens 
in, in, I want to call initial, the initial step of salvation. When I first enter the kingdom of God. Now, we're not at the final stage. I'll get to that. But at the initial stage, what happens? Many things. I'll just touch on a few. One is justification takes place. One of the greatest doctrines in all the word of God is the great teaching on justification. It simply means to declare righteous. That means this, that at, at salvation, the ju- judicial act of God is that he, cl- he declares believing sinners righteous. Now, now think about it. Someone sinned their entire life. Some people have lived more wicked than others, but all are sinners. And, and they've lived wickedly before God. But when they come to Christ in faith and repentance, at that moment, God declares them righteous. And that man or woman walks away as if in the sight of God, not always in the sight of men, but God in his mercy treats that man as if he's never, ever committed one sin That's the power of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Romans speaks about this in Romans 3. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. God's not impressed with our good works. But now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith. I can be righteous with God. How? Through faith. In Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, there is no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified, how? Freely. By his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood to faith, to demonstrate his righteousness. Being, uh, because in his forbearance, God had passed over sins that had been previously committed. In other words, he didn't, he didn't judge them immediately. How many know that first time someone committed a sin, God could judge them? And he would be just in doing so. But in his patience and in his love, he looked down through that moment when Jesus would hang on the cross and take all of our sins there. And it says, verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now that just... And justifier means he dealt with the sin and he forgave the sinner. At the moment of initial salvation, we're justified in the presence of the Lord. And then we're forgiven. Very closely connected. The penalty of sin is remitted. We should rejoice every day. You know, the psalmist says, what? Rejoice in the Lord. Or I'm sorry, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Every day. Every day of our life, we should have some kind of thanksgiving to the Lord for forgiving our sin. Ephesians says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. Shout amen. amen. So the Lord treats us as if we've, if we've never sinned in our lives. When the prodigal came back, he had been away from the father. The prodigal came back, and guess what he did? When he, when he was reconciled with father, he received the ring. He received the robe. He received shoes. They rejoiced. They, they, they feasted. Why? He didn't hold that. He forgave all that. Aren't you glad that God treats us as sons? He treats us as if we have never, sin, ever, never sinned. There's justification. There's forgiveness. But I think as important as any of these, at initial salvation, cleansing takes place. In other words, we're not just forgiven. The power of sin is broken. Here's what that means. That means... That you and I, as true Christians, with true saving faith, can, we can live for God. We can live for God. There's many people that say, you know, I would, I, would, I would think about Christianity. I would think about following Jesus, but I don't think I could live that life. Listen, because of the incredible work of the Holy Spirit in salvation and in sanctification, we can live for God. The power of of sin is broken. Romans, shall we, 6 and 1, what shall we say then? Shall we, you know, Paul's talking about salvation and justification, and, 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 and then he says in chapter 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. 
How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized unto Christ were baptized to his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that we should walk in newness of life. As you read this, chapter 6 is an amazing chapter. If you look down in verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. I can say no to sin. That you should obey its desires. Verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, as members and instru- uh, members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14, sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under the law, but you're under grace. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is more powerful than any sin or any evil desire. We can live for God because we have Jesus on the inside. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So Noah begins to be saved at that moment when he embraces the warning, just like we begin to be saved. But then we look at Noah, and Noah is being saved. He was saved, but he's being saved. What what does that mean? That means he was working out his salvation with fear and trembling. Verse uh, Genesis 6, 9 says, the genealogy of Noah, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation, Noah walked with God. Let that settle upon you. Noah walked with God. How how did he walk with God? His faith was active. He was serving God. He was building the ark. He was busy and active in his relationship with God. He walked with God. Now, notice this. Salvation is more than coming to the altar and repeating a prayer. Salvation and genuine faith is what we're talking about. Is a living, a living relationship with Jesus Christ every day. I'm saved. I was saved. And I began the journey. But I'm also being saved. Now, daily. I want you to to look with me in John 15. Now, John 15, Jesus is here talking about walking with him. John 15 is about the vine and the branches, correct? You've you've read it. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's teaching them about the true nature of saving faith, the true nature of living daily, abiding with him. And he uses this illustration of the vine and the branches. And so Noah walked with God. Using this passage What are the characteristics of walking with God? What did Jesus say about walking and abiding with him? Abiding just means remaining. Mino is the the Greek word. It means to remain. To remain vitally connected to Jesus. Now, in salvation, there's God's part and there's our part. And I don't have time to get in all of that. But here... Jesus commands his followers to what? To abide in him. Remain in me. If you remain in me and I remain in you, there's a responsibility that we keep our faith in the Lord, that we keep our relationship vital. So what are the, what are the characteristics of someone like Noah? Or you and I, if we're going to walk with God, you say, Pastor, I've been saved in the past. By grace through faith, I was saved. I begin to be saved. I begin this journey Now we're being saved. Now we're walking with God. You understand? You understand Noah didn't get 60 years in and throw his tools down and then claim he was all right with God. No, faith that's a genuine faith perseveres to the end. So notice with me, I'm just going to, I'm not going to read all of this. I'm going to pick through a few verses and just, and they're actually not in order, but abiding or walking with Jesus, first of all, it includes complete dependence on Jesus. Look at 15 verse number 4. 15 and verse 4. said, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot. Everyone say cannot. Cannot, cannot bear fruit bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. We are completely dependent on our faith in Jesus. We are completely dependent on, depending, dependent on God for this walk. We can do nothing without him. 
This is not about work separated from him. It's about faith rooted in Jesus, and the overflow of that is works. That's the fruit of it. So first thing is complete dependence upon Jesus, you know, running the, uh, the, the, the author and the finisher of our faith. Faith from first to last. That's what faith is, trusting him from beginning to end. To end. And then another characteristic, and we see it in Noah. So when I'm giving this, think about Noah. Another characteristics, a characteristic of walking with God and working on our salvation with fear and trembling is obedience. Uh, verse 10 of this chapter, if, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The Bible knows nothing about a walk with God in blatant rebellion. The Bible, listen, I'm talking about the true nature of saving faith. The Bible knows nothing about someone who comes to the front of a church, repeats a prayer after a preacher, and goes out and lives the most wicked and vile life, but says, hey, I was baptized when I was 12. The Bible knows nothing about that kind of of false relationship with God. No, he said here, if you love me, you want to abide in my love, you'll walk in obedience. You'll obey my commands. Paul even talked about in Romans 1, the obedience of faith. Faith, genuine faith, brings us into obedience. Now, it's not our works that save us, but but out of faith comes works. Out of faith will produce obedience when our heart has been made, not a heart of stone anymore, but a heart of flesh that loves God. Obedience. So what is Noah doing? Is Noah being obedient or disobedient? He's obedient. His faith is genuine. He's building the ark. He's, he's, He's letting that warning of God continue to motivate him to obedience. And here's another quality and characteristics of, of abiding, abiding and walking with God like Noah did. Uh, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words, notice that, and my words abide in you, my words abide in you. Time in the word of God. Do you think that Noah spent time thinking about the revelation? I mean, it, it, it motivated his whole life. His whole life was about the word that God gave. And you know what our life is about now? Our whole life is about the words God gave. Our whole life is revolved around these words. We're abiding. This this word of God is information, supernatural information, about the world, the kingdom that we live in now. We've been born into a new kingdom. This is the government of that kingdom. This tells us about the Lord of the kingdom. This tells us about how kingdom citizens live. This tells us what our, what, how we relate to our present, how we relate to our past. It tells us about the inheritance in the future, and we're abiding in this word. Now, I'm going to tell you, I believe that Noah, and I'm sure there was other words that God gave him, he's abiding in these words. He's walking in these words. That's the characteristic of someone who walks with God, abides in Jesus. These words impart life to us. Jesus said, the words I speak to your spirit, they're life. Jesus Jesus also said this. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is a word that imparts life to us. The word of God brings salvation to it. This is the seed that caused us to be born again, but this is a seed that continues to bring life to us. And then there is this characteristic of prayer. Look at verse 7. You ask what you will. Ask what you will, at what you desire, and it will be done for you. Abiding in him through prayer. Don't you know that during that wicked time that Noah, all those people probably mocking him, he's building this boat, and there's no rain. He's being mocked. He's being made a fool. And don't you know he spent a lot of time with the Lord. And and in that prayer time, walking with God, the Lord's imparting new mercies and new strength and new grace to him. And Then another quality of walking with God we find in verse 3. You are already clean by the word which I've spoken to you. And that's holiness. We don't fellowship with God in darkness. God doesn't, listen, God doesn't join us in the darkness of our sin. But he only fellowships in one place, and that's in the light. As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all sin. There's this, continually, this continual walk of holiness and strong, stronger in the mercies and the grace of God. That's another quality of walking with God. And then, and then verse 11 and 12 of this chapter. These things have I spoken to you that my joy remain in you 
and that your joy may be full. And this is our commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Walking with God always has love. We love God, but we're to love God's people too. Always, always has that there. Now, so think about this as I conclude this. Are we saved or are we being saved? And I have shown you very clearly from many verses of Scripture. The Bible talks about being saved. The Bible talks about having been saved, being saved. But the Bible also has another tense, and that's finally being saved. So Noah was Noah began to be saved. Noah is being saved. But then Noah was finally saved. In other words, he in a type... He entered into that final stage of completed salvation as he was delivered from the waters of judgment and brought into a brand new world. As the ark opened up and he offered the sacrifice to God and God said, go forth, be fruitful and multiply. So are we saved or are we being saved? All. I would say the answer is yes, (laughs) The answer is yes. Everyone say yes. yes. Pastor, are we being saved? Are we saved? Are we going to be saved? Yes. It's all true. What I'm pointing out to you is this, and I hope that you'll grab this. Salvation is not one and done. Salvation is not coming down and say, Pastor, repeat this prayer, and you go out and you have your insurance policy. And I'm not, no, Noah walked with God. And the Bible said, I read in Paul's writing, he does it so articulately. He said, those, who are, those of us who are being saved, the gospel is the power. The word of the cross is the power of God unto salvation. So yes, we were saved. Hear this, I conclude. We were saved in the past at the moment we were born again. That moment we placed faith in what Jesus did on the cross we were taken out of darkness and brought into light and we we had eternal life imparted to us we are being saved in our present walk as we're persevering in our faith and we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling we're working in our salvation then it says and God works in you both to will and his good pleasure that's Philippians 2 Philippians 2 12 and 13 but you here's what you got to take away from this today And that is, we will be saved in the future, in the final completed stage of salvation as we are glorified in his presence. And a number of things are going to happen. One of the things that's going to happen, we're going to be saved from the wrath to come. There's, There's future eternal wrath that are coming to all the ungodly. We are going to be saved from that. Because we are, we have been saved, because we have trusted Jesus. We're going to get new bodies. We're going to be a part of that land that is fairer than day. And our salvation, though we are saved, we're not, it's not completed yet. So my encouragement to you is what Revelations 3.11, and I'll leave this verse with you. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one take away. Your crown. I want you to stand with me, please, if you would. I want to pray that the Lord would strengthen your heart in His grace. When we, when we think about this spiritual concept of the tenses of salvation, we're saved, being saved, will be saved, what it encourages us to do is, first of all, continue to serve the Lord. The Lord has a work for you to do. I was, I was thinking and praying this morning. The Lord has a work for every single one of us to do in this new work, this new building. We're going to have ministries that are reflourishing again. What is the Lord going to have you do? How are you going to manifest your faith? How are you going to build the ark? How are you going to work out your salvation? But I also want you to to know this, that this this being saved aspect, this is... let me say it this way. I think, I, I think the Holy Spirit wants me to say it this way. This working out our salvation is, is not us in our own, you know, gritting our teeth and our own willpower, just I'm going to serve God. No, 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 no. That's not it at all. That's not it. You're going to get worn out. No, no. As, as we draw near to the one we walk with, 
there's new grace imparted. There's strength that I can overcome every sin, every satanic onslaught. As we draw near to him, see the Bible says this, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. So as we abide in him, we receive strength to keep building that ark, to keep serving him. And then one day, all of us, as we continue to keep our faith in the right place, we're going to cross this eternal finish line. Our, one of my pastor friends, Gerald Waite, in Fort Worth, he passed away recently. And he finished his journey. He had uh, he'd actually had some lung issues a couple years ago. And before all this COVID, and, and he recently got sick and passed away of double pneumonia. I don't know if it was COVID. I don't think it was, actually. But Brother Gerald has finished his race. His journey is complete. We've started the journey. We said yes to Jesus. We are continuing to walk with God like Noah did through this wicked world. But we're not going to allow anyone to steal our crown. We're going to have a faith that perseveres to the end. And we're going to complete this race. Are you determined to do that? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for mercy. Thank you for grace. Lord, as feebly as I've brought this message, I pray that it has meant something and will work out something in each of our hearts. Lord, you called us to walk with you, to abide in you. And I pray that we would take seriously, Lord, this spiritual principle found in your word. And that we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling as you work in us to will and to do your good pleasure. I pray for strength in this journey for each one. And I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice, those watching on the internet, Lord, that we would have that faith that perseveres and continues to the end. And we finish this earthly journey with faithfulness. Help us to be faithful is our prayer. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I love you, church. Thank you for being in this first service. I'll dismiss you in the name of the Lord. God bless you.